Thank you, worship team. I trust this morning as you have entered into the worship, I trust that you sense God's presence. And I trust that no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter what you're going through, no matter what secrets you're carrying, no matter what burdens you face, no matter what your struggles are, my hope and my prayer this morning is that you've heard very clearly your God saying to you that he loves you, that he's got this, and that as you continue to follow him, he'll come through. I hope you've heard that this morning already. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. And uh, if you have a partner beside you who's got another Bible or a different app, or you've got a Bible and an app, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Uh, verse 40, so I think Patricia misread my handwriting. <laughs> and verse 40 actually fits too, but we'll... Be looking at verse 46. In the winter of 2019, as most folks were beginning to think about Christmas and the new year, word began around the world about a growing crisis in China. A new virus had emerged and people were dying from it. At first, nobody seemed that concerned. China's a long ways away. But then, like all viruses do, this one began to spread. Governments tried to respond, but it always seemed to be too little, too late. Soon, humanity was facing a global pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus disease 2019, became a problem all around the world. In some places, people chose disbelief, scoffing at the whole thing as a hoax. In other places, people let reason fly out the window and panic and fear set in. It seems no one had clear direction on how to face this new threat to humanity. One thing seems clear, and it is this. The same God who ruled heaven during cholera... The same God who ruled heaven and earth during Spanish flu, the same God who ruled heaven and earth during bubonic plague, that same God continues to rule heaven and earth during COVID-19. This planet is his planet. And you might think then that churches who follow this God would be different from the people around them. You might think that the followers of Jesus would respond differently than atheists or Buddhists or Muslims. And you might be wrong. Globally, the church of God has revealed herself to be just as godless as the world around her. We had no solution because we had so little of Jesus. In our churches. How does a church rise up in a time of plague? How should a church act during a time of COVID? Shouldn't we just keep doing what we've always been doing? Or rather, shouldn't we start doing some of the things that we're supposed to be doing all along and somewhere along the way stop doing? What are we supposed to be doing? What is the church of Jesus supposed to do in normal times? And what is the church of Jesus supposed to do in time of pandemic? To this church, asking this question, 
Jesus Christ clearly replies, go and make disciples. Like, my charge to you has not changed. My plans from the foundation of time have not changed. My command that I gave 2,000 years ago when I started my church remains the same for every generation of everyone who calls themselves a part of my church. And my command to my COVID church is this. Go and make disciples. We're starting a new sermon series this morning here at Bridgeway Community Church. We're calling it COVID Church. And it's a call back to basics, back to the main thing. It's a call back to the command and the commission of Jesus Christ because the reality is we've been too long distracted by unimportant things. We have been constructing Icarus airplanes when we should have been waiting for eagle's wings. We've gotten busy with the propagation of a religion when we should have been following Jesus. We spent time and money and energy on things that really do not matter. Or things that matter to us, but don't matter quite so much to him. And I think it's time to put Christ back into Christianity. I think it's time to truly be a disciple of Jesus. So here's our vision here at Bridgeway Community Church. Bridgeway Community Church exists to glorify God and make him known. As bold disciples of Jesus, we are growing closer to God in Christ. We're reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus. We are assisting one another in ministry. We are caring for each other in Jesus' love, and we are exalting our God in worship. This is our mission statement. This is who we are. This doesn't change because of pandemic. This doesn't change when we change staff members. This doesn't change when the economy crashes or does well. This doesn't change when Democrats or Republicans win the White House. This doesn't change in our election tomorrow. Go vote. This doesn't change when you lose your job. This doesn't change when everything else in life does change. We are called to make disciples. Just like Jesus gave that call to his first followers almost 2,000 years ago, he extends that call this morning, October 25th, 2020, to you sitting where you are in your pew at Bridgeway Community Church as someone who lives and, and works in Swift Current or wherever you happen to live and work if you're a visitor. He's giving this call to you as well. He hasn't changed his mind. He still wants us to make disciples. This is how the world knows about Jesus. As you and I, his followers, make disciples. This is how God's kingdom comes. As you and I make disciples. This is what gives purpose and meaning to your lives. Not just the blind propagation of stuff. Making disciples is what gives your life a meaning and a purpose and a direction. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth. Now go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given to you. And be sure of this. I'm with you. Always. Even to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. Now that word disciples, it it shows up three times in that passage. It's repeated three times. It's not really a word that we use in everyday English, is it? Disciple. What is a disciple? I mean, if you were to go out on the street right now and just find a random stranger and say, what does the word disciple mean? What What would they say? If you were to use that word at work or at school or just randomly over the fence with your neighbor, how would an ordinary person who doesn't, re- doesn't even know Jesus, how, how would they react to that word disciple? Disciple. Maybe it's a word that you use once in a while and you don't even really know what it means. You use that word a lot. It does not mean what I think you means. Disciple. Do I have to shave my head and grow a beard so I look exactly like Pastor Nick? No, there's a few that wouldn't look good with a shaved head. Anyways, do I have to wear a smock and go live with the Chelonians up in Cumberland Forest? Sorry, PS4 reference. Do I have to renounce all my worldly possessions, give them all away? Do I have to read all the books on Dianetics and watch every Tom Cruise movie? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, when you become a member at Bridgeway Community Church, we, we kind of go through that. And here it is. It's kind of summarized for you on one page. I didn't come up with this. <laughs> This is something that, that, that you guys came up with, that, that you agreed on, that, that your leaders, before you even hired a new lead pastor, came up with this idea. Ask yourselves, what does it mean to be a disciple? So this is, this is something that we go through in every membership class. And my hope is that this is something maybe that you'll just tuck away in your purse or, or in your Bible or, or somewhere where maybe it'll fall out at some crazy time and God will speak to you and just remind you of what it means to be a follower of him. What is our membership covenant? I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for my sins and has risen for my justification, baptized upon the confession of my faith. You know, baptism is actually the first step of discipleship, right? The first Step. So if you're not baptized and you believe, get baptized. Born again as a child of God through the Holy Spirit. Committed to the Bible as God's word. I am committed to being a disciple of Jesus by intentionally studying the Bible, praying on a regular basis, submitting to the Holy Spirit in obedience, repenting of my sins, growing in my relationship with Jesus, imitating Jesus Christ in obedience, Demonstrating Christ's love to the world, telling others about Jesus Christ. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am committed to being a member at Bridgeway Community Church by intentionally meeting with other believers, fellow believers, by considering other people to be more important than myself. That's a tough one. Relating to others with grace and truth, using my gifts and abilities to make disciples following the mission and the direction of Bridgeway Community Church, sharing my resources to support the ministry at Bridgeway Community Church, and being held accountable for the commitments that I've made as a member. 
I'm kind of hoping that as you read over that, whether or not you're a member yet at Bridgeway, whether you've taken that step or not, I'm kind of hoping most of this you can say, yeah. That's, that's a pretty good summary of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking a few of these things together. We're going to be looking at the unchanging Word of God, your Bibles, so bring them with you. I generally preach out of a New Living Translation, in case you're wondering, um, but whatever works for you is, is good. Not whatever, because there's a few translations, but if you're looking for a translation, come talk to me. And we're going to be looking at our membership covenant, and we're going to be looking at present-day realities in the middle of a global pandemic, and we're going to be asking ourselves... What does it mean to be a disciple of Bridgeway Community Church? And so for this morning, I have just a real simple first thought to answer that question. And it is this. A disciple in in a COVID church understands their relationship to Jesus. Simple enough, fair enough, right? You know who you are, and you know who Jesus is, and you know how those two realities intersect. You've actually started to form who you are in the light of who Jesus is. Let's start with two important assumptions that we make then about who Jesus is. First things, a disciple knows Jesus as his Savior. Savior. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no U in it, American spelling, but that's okay. We understand what it means. Savior's not really a common word in the English language, right? Savior. And we've all been taught to look out for ourselves, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, solve our own problems, be a self-made man. We remind ourselves as parents that our role is not to raise kids. We're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And so as parents, we're only successful when our children become self-disciplined, self-sustaining adults who are independent, capable of making their own decisions and hopefully giving us grandkids at some point, right? Right? Amen? Do I hear any? Okay, there's an amen from Elaine. We just became grandkids. Grandparents, I mean. (laughs) We just became grandkids too. Yeah, there you go. Even those of us with helicopter parents, tendencies, right? We know we're not supposed to be that way, right? Our kids are supposed to start making decisions for themselves. Fly, little birdies, fly. That's what we teach ourselves in our culture, right? Self-dependency. But here's the problem with that kind of a teaching. When you're climbing a cliff, I don't know why you'd be climbing a cliff, but let's say you're climbing a cliff, and you get stuck on that cliff side, and your, your ropes break or something, right? And you're, you can't help yourself at that point in time. You've gotten yourself into a bind. You can't get out on your own. You're going to need someone else to come along, hopefully a helicopter that will fly down and, and rescue you, right? Pluck you off of that cliff so you can go home and tell your wife what a foolish man you've been. Yeah, you, you need help. The person whose ship is sunk and they're floating in the ocean on a door... There's room for two on the door, Rose. That person, like they can't save themselves. They're going to die unless someone else comes along and helps them. The Coast Guard or, or another ship. Someone needs to pluck them out of the They can't solve their own problems. If you're downhill skiing and you get caught in an avalanche, and you're sitting there with your leg kind of busted up and maybe a rib sticking out of your winter parka, 
You can't help yourself. You need someone else to come save you. If nothing else, a St. Bernard with a flask of brandy, right? You need help. And this is our reality. Because every single one of us, every single human being ever, we have this problem. This sin problem. And we cannot fix it on our own. The wages of sin is death. And that's the direction that we are heading. And we, we try. You know, we make a New Year's resolution, right? Figure it out for a week or two, and then we're right back in the same, the same trap. You need help with your sin problem. And Jesus is the one who helps. Jesus is the one who forgives your sin. Jesus is the one who rescues you from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is the one who dies in your place, who rescues you from your own well-deserved death. Jesus is the one who gives you a new life so that you can be born again by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who's promised you that he now calls you a child of God and that you have eternity waiting for you. You have this inheritance kept for the saints. It's just beyond even asking or imagining. Jesus Jesus is the one who does that. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven by which you can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And so the disciple of Jesus knows Jesus to be their Savior. Like when I was hooped, he rescued me. When I needed saving, he saved me. And in your look, membership covenant, I mean, that's the very first line in the membership covenant, Right? A believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for my sins and has risen for my justification. He saved me. <laughs> We're never going to stop preaching that here at Bridgeway. I hope you're never going to get tired of hearing it. We're never going to stop teaching it to your kids and to the youth. We're never going to stop emphasizing that. Jesus is your Savior. He's the only one capable of saving you. He's the only one willing to save you. Thank God we have a Savior. And if you haven't taken that very first step of discipleship, of putting your trust in Jesus to rescue you from your troubles through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, three days later on the resurrection, the empty grave, if you haven't taken that first step of taking that deep breath and saying, okay, Lord, I can't solve this problem on my own. I need you. Putting your trust in him. If you haven't done that, and do that. And I can tell you that this is the most amazing thing in the world, to know Jesus as your Savior. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Darren. You know what? Talk to anyone who's a mature believer in Christ. They should be able to talk to you about what it means to put your trust in Jesus and to come to know him as your Savior. So that's, that's the first step. The disciple knows Jesus as Savior. That's what Jesus has done for us. And now we're going to take a little bit of time to think about what Jesus wants to do in us. Right? A disciple knows Jesus as Lord. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, that word Lord, how often do we use that, right? It's more than just a singer on, on pop charts, right? Lord, what is a, what is a Lord? Is it those guys with the white hair and the, you know, dress balls? What, what is a Lord? Can I, can I swap that word Lord out 
for a synonym that maybe you might understand just a little bit better? A disciple knows Jesus as master. Master. Think slave and owner. Master. Here's another word that is virtually a synonym of Lord. A disciple knows Jesus as king. We sang a song this morning, right? King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign. You see, the church in the West, we've been saturated with images that are one-sided. And we've, we've all been infatuated with this idea of Jesus who loves us. Like, we, we invite people, come as you are to Jesus, and he's going to forgive you. He's, he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And it's true. He, he is. He's all of these things. His kindness, his love, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We know him as shepherd who looks after his flock. We know him as brother who welcomes us into his family. We, we know him as, as a friend who wants to spend time with us and tell us all of his secrets. But it is one-sided, and we have come to know Jesus as a toothless lion. And it's so wrong He's the Lion of Judah who roars. When he speaks, the whole earth shakes. He has unimaginable power at his beck and call. He is the King, the Lord of angel armies. Jesus is the King of the universe. And he's your master. He's your Lord. If you are his disciple, then he's your Lord. Two weeks ago, Dominic and Michael got baptized. Dominic shared a verse, Romans 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We recognize him as, as Lord. We sang that song, Here as in Heaven. This morning. And it echoes the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Jesus' Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when you really think about that, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that his will takes precedence over your will. Okay? In order for him to do his will, you have to surrender your will to him. In order for his kingdom to come, you have to take whatever it is that you think that you reign over, your little kingdom, and you have to submit it to him. He's king. He's sovereign. He's ruler. He's liege. He's boss. He's potentate. He's head honcho. He's lord. Juan Carlos Ortiz says, what does the Lord's prayer mean when it says... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means that I must abdicate the throne of my life where I have been sitting. And I must allow him to sit on the throne of my life. Before I met Jesus, I thought I was the commander of my life. But since I've met him, he commands. He's in charge. Maybe this is a little hard for you. 
Maybe it's a little uncomfortable for you this morning sitting in your pew, but let's, let's just follow this idea through to its logical, biblical conclusion. Because if Jesus is Lord, Master, King, that means that the true disciple of Jesus knows themselves as servant, slave. At the very heart of who you are in Jesus, at the very heart of who you are becoming in Christ, there is this reality. You are his slave. You don't command, he does. You don't argue with him or bargain with him or question him. He's your master and you're his servant. Jesus talks about this in Luke's gospel. He says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, hey, servant, come sit here and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he's supposed to be doing? Of course not. In a post-emancipation world, we don't really understand servanthood. It jars at us. A servant is someone who does not have liberty. He doesn't have freedom. If his master says, get up at 6 in the morning, he has to get up at 6 in the morning. If her master says, clean the toilets, then she cleans the toilets. And so when Jesus shares this metaphor, this idea of a master allowing his servant to eat first, I mean, his disciples are like laughing. This is ludicrous. But look at verse 10. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who are simply doing our duty. Romans 14, 7 to 9. We don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord of both the living and of the dead. You need to start thinking of yourself as servant. Luke 22, 24, and 25, the disciples began arguing amongst themselves about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this to them, in this world, the kings and the great men, they lord it over their people, but among you it should be different. It will be different. Those who are the greatest amongst you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. As though he was God, he didn't consider his equality with God to be something to be grasped or, or clung to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges he took the humble position of slave. Born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And I ask you, if that's what your Jesus did for you, the Son of God, 
did that for you, if, if he became your servant, is it really too much of him to ask you to become his? The testimony of every Christian should be this. The truth that every follower of Jesus should live by, the reality of every true disciple of Jesus is this. I used to be in charge of my own life. I used to, or so I thought. I was really a slave to sin. Uh, But now, since Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, since Jesus Christ has given me forgiveness, since Jesus Christ has given me a new life, since Jesus Christ is offering me heaven, I'm going to consider myself his servant. I'm going to consider myself his servant because if Christ be Christ who died for me, then no sacrifice on my part is too great for him. I'm his servant. And so this morning I ask a question. And it is the question that Jesus asks every person throughout history who has ever called themselves his follower, a disciple of Jesus. This is what Jesus has to say to you this morning. This is the question that he wants you to wrestle with this morning. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? When you do not do what I say. So here's the thing, right? We invited the Holy Spirit to come into this place. To work in our hearts. And I believe that he's here right now. I believe God is sitting close to you, closer than the person right beside you. And right now in your own heart, God is saying something to you. He's bringing something up, floating to the top. And there's one area in your life right now that he wants to deal with. He's tired of you hanging on to that. It might be a relationship. It might be a sin that you're doing in secret that nobody else knows about. It might be a doubt that you're hanging on to. It might be a difficult situation in your life. Whatever it is, as God brings that to your awareness, that's the question that he's asking you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you're not doing what I'm telling you to do? Because that's the reality, isn't it? Like, You've talked to a few people and they've told you what God wants you to do. It's like he always asks you to, do you notice that about him? Like he always asks you to do the stuff you don't want to do. Have you ever noticed that in your life? It's like there's a million voices in my head and they're all screaming at me and they're all telling me the things that I want to do, right? Yeah, do this or do that. And they're all self-serving, self-gratifying voice and there's this one still small voice that is it's going against the flow and is gently saying, are you sure about this? Because this is not consonant with who you are in Christ. And I'm, I'm calling you to a different, a different way of responding. And your, your human flesh is screaming out against it. I want to do what I want to do. 
But at the end of the day, I have called you Savior. And I'm calling you Lord. So I'm going to obey. We're living in interesting times. Governments around the world are asking, demanding, passing laws to isolate us from each other. And this fear of disease, this fear of COVID has shaken our planet to its very core. And the church in the middle of pandemic has not always been the shining light of Jesus that we should be. And each one of us, if we're honest enough with ourselves to be honest with ourselves, we will admit that we haven't always let our confession shape our action. We haven't always acted the way that a true disciple of Jesus should act. Our government has instructed churches to focus on the main thing, to reduce our meetings and our activities, to eliminate secondary things, to ancillary events, they're saying it, for the sake of safety. And so we look at ourselves and we ask ourselves, well then, what is the main thing in a COVID church? What should a church be doing? What are our foundations? What is the most important? And the answer to that question harkens back to the words of Jesus, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told all of his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these disciples all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. A COVID church is a disciple-making church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in a song together. And as they're making their way up to the front, you can slip on your mask But as you're doing that, just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.